turn in your devices. It will also be on the screen to Galatians 6, verses 11 through 18. We are going to be closing out this series together in Galatians, where Paul is contending for the Galatian churches to stay in truth, to stay in grace. And so, if you guys can stand with me in honor of God's Word, and, all right, see what large letters I use as I write you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. I feel God's presence. Um, you know, the, the Jewish Christians uh, who were coming from Jerusalem, just to recap and give some context to what is going on here, um, they were coming from Jerusalem to preach the cross of Jesus Christ plus circumcision, um, plus the law um, that is in Judaism. And uh, Paul here is saying, wait a minute, and he's very angry with a holy indignation. And he is their spiritual father of these Galatian churches, these non-Jewish believers to whom the Jewish Christians are coming and preaching this false message. Um, and so Paul, as a spiritual father with a spiritual authority in their lives, is saying, this is not okay. And he is contending for them to stay in truth. He's contending for them to return to the grace by which they were begotten or born again. And um, so Paul is, you know, you guys know as parents what it's like to contend for your children and their well-being. We spend much of our days doing this. Uh, or how about as spiritual parents? We want our kids to know. Uh, we want our spiritual children to know that, um, or to come into the reality that they are free, that they are safe, and even to lead others someday. Well, you know, long before the law was given to Moses at Mount Sinai uh, for the people Israel, they were given a promise. Um, to a Abraham was given a promise. And the promise that he was given was that um, he would be the father of many nations. And that those who are that those who uh, have faith in God are those who would be justified. And so that he would be a father of faith, that he would be, um, that this is the Israel of God to whom Paul is referring right here. And so, 
This family would be made up of Jews and Gentiles. And as John Jordan put it weeks ago, um, the ones who are justified by faith are those who are just as if they've never sinned. And Jake said that the law, Jake said a few weeks ago, the law is like a mirror. The law is from God. It's holy. It's perfect. It is good. It is not the problem, right? Our sin is the problem, and that mirror shows us how we have fallen short. Well, the law also acts as a tutor. It, it would keep Israel in line, or it was supposed to, intended to, keep Israel in line until the coming of the promised Messiah, Jesus. And so the problem was that as they taught circumcision that not only were they teaching a wrong message, they were also negating the forgiveness of sins and the freedom that is ours in Christ and the fulfillment of that promise that comes only through Jesus and Jesus crucified. And so, herein lies the dilemma for the Galatian churches. They are battling between these two messages And so essentially, by teaching the law that can't save, they're also neglecting the gospel that does save. You know, when I was in high school, I um, shared the good news of Jesus with my friend Nick a fair amount. And, um, you know, the conversation, we would go round and round, and it would always end with his response of, well, you know, you're just, you're good, and I'm not like you. You know, you're good enough as though, like, the standard of all things good, according to Nick, were, was the real standard <laughs> by which we measure who's saved and who's not. I mean, who knew that we just could go to Nick and that he could tell us what good, <laughs> what g- good is good enough, right? And so we would argue over this stuff, and it would just be, you know, and so pray for Nick. I don't know that he knows the Lord yet, but... But it was this self, he was implying, right, a self-salvation through works, right? Like, well, you're good enough according to my arbitrary subjective measure. How about another friend of mine in Aliquippa a few years ago who I shared um, uh, Christ, the the good news of Jesus with, and and he said, you know what, I want to come right to God, and I'm not going to come to him until I get my stuff together. And I said, man, you can save yourself the time. I have really good news for you. You will not get your stuff together unless God meets you and transforms you from the inside out. And you know, that guy, he would say, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And here Paul says, confessing your need for God is not hypocritical. What's hypocritical is preaching the law and not uh, doing it yourself. And that's what these Jewish believers are doing. They're saying Jesus plus for salvation. And their motivation is avoiding persecution and boasting in converts. Both of these things point to the fear of man. Avoiding persecution. You know, being fearful of what uh, someone might do to them. And Believers were being persecuted for their faith. And so they would avoid this by preaching circumcision. Uh, Anybody a fan of persecution? 
<laughs> Blessed are the persecuted, right? Um, the Bible does say that. Uh, you know, I remember praying over uh, the gospel tab, and I kind of caught myself in this uh, years ago. I was going after it. I was by myself just praying, you know, I was just declaring over us, you know, we are the hungry and thirsty for righteousness uh, in the name of Jesus, and we are the poor in spirit in Jesus' name. We're the pure in heart. And then when I got to persecution, I went into this whole, like, well, God, you know, like, we don't want to be persecuted, but if um, you want us to be, or I mean, if, if, if that happens, we're willing to be. We know it's not your will that we be persecuted, but if it comes to that, and on and on, I could just see God up there like, oh gosh, Steve, when are you going to get this, or, like, or at least go somewhere with this prayer? Um, this is not a spiritual prayer. I'm not, uh, <laughs> where are we going here? Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so, but I think what happens is when we focus, is the wrong thing to do is to focus on persecution. And the right thing to do is to understand and contend for and experience how great the kingdom of heaven is at work in our lives, right? And how it far outweighs the persecution that may or may not come. And so um, I'm, I'm, I was reminded of Heidi Baker, who uh, she has a ministry called Iris Global, and She's in the war-torn uh, uh, third world uh, country of Mozambique, and, and she described very recently of civil war there and atrocities that have taken place. She said, you know, there are people who, um, there are people who have been made to watch their families be killed, and these are people she's in long-time relationship with, and she's been there about 30 years, and she said, you know, uh, what I've seen in the people I'm in relationship with by way of the gospel and the glory that they carry amidst persecution. She said to see them move from forgiveness and a measure of healing toward joy and resolve to minister in power, she said, has been incredible. And I think that is a modern day or present day picture of what I'm referring to people who have so experienced God's love and are so convinced by experiencing him that they can testify to this even amidst persecution. Well, while these Jewish Christians who were teaching Jesus plus the law walked in the fear of man boasting in circumcision, you know, Paul walks in the fear of the Lord. One commentator said that what we boast in is that which we believe gives us significance and dignity. And you see, Paul's fear of the Lord is that he, and the fear of the Lord is believing that your significance and dignity come from his love for you, come from his delight in you, that you are approved because he loves you. See, these Jewish Christians weren't convinced of that yet. They were not convinced of that. They thought that you know, um, impressing people with a number of converts, that is, a number of people they could get circumcised, would bring them significance and approval. Or that, you know, um, avoiding persecution uh, would um, help them because they were pleasing people. And the reality is, um, 
you know, Paul walks in the full measure of the blessing of Christ, the realization of his inheritance of deep satisfaction and a clear conscience. The fear of man is seeking significance and dignity that you already have from God, but that is just not yet realized in your life. And it's when you put your experience above the truth and you live by your experience rather than that you believe in your experience over the truth that God already approves you through Jesus' finished work at the cross. You see, Jesus is the truth and he sets us free from lies and the bondage they create. So let me give you an example of this. So Sally uh, is jealous of Beth and Sally is a believer and she just sees Beth's gifts, though, and her leadership and her relationships, how she navigates life. And oftentimes, um, what rears its ugly head for Sally is this just this jealousy. You know, she wants to have that, and she feels like she can't. And, um, and so, but if Sally were to realize that that compare, and so she, she feels, when, that, when this crops up for her, right, she feels... Um, she feels a uh, pride and a shame, and so she just keeps hiding it. But what if God was inviting Sally when that cropped up for her to a, into a healing journey to renounce the lies that she is less valuable than Beth and to receive the truth that she is so valuable, even of priceless worth, even of the worth of God, who exchanged his life to have her, that she could be freed from that bondage and into that newfound freedom? Or what about like when I was in high school and into college where I focused so much on performance that I would, um, you know, get my significance, my dignity, my identity from that. So when I failed, I didn't just fail. I was a failure right? That was the lie. And so the Lord revealed in time that this was a fear of rejection and abandonment in which this was rooted. And he started to surface that and bring me into newfound freedom and healing. And so, you know, one time the Lord highlighted to me, you, you can't take out all the fiery darts. You have to take out the fortress. We can't just focus on what the symptoms are. You know, did I fail? Did I succeed? How did I feel when I failed? How did I feel when I succeeded? But how about why I feel that way? You know, and it's like the Lord is saying, stop paying attention just to your habits or your patterns of behavior that are unhealthy and start paying attention to that which divides your heart. That lie that keeps you in the fear of man, arguing for circumcision, I mean compromise, arguing for nominal Christianity under the lie that the best you got is temporal satisfaction or a clear conscience, when in Jesus, you have deep satisfaction and a clear conscience. Right diagnosis leads to right treatment, and we need a Holy Ghost treatment, amen? This doesn't happen by imitating Christ or, as Brooks said last week, behavior modification. 
Um, this happens by God's transforming power. And Paul here talks about, he goes into the new creation. He says that this is a new creation and it is the only rule that counts. Now, the rule in this context means standard. And if the new creation is the standard, it's that against which we judge everything else. And the standard is the truth. And if the, tr- and if the standard is the truth, the truth is Christ. You see, the new creation rule, the standard that counts is Jesus and Jesus only. You know, Jesus said, abide in my word. If you can put this on the screen, Tim. Abide in my word and you will know the truth. Truth will set you free. And um, here, I'll just read it. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. So if the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. And so... Jesus is the Word of God, and Jesus is the truth. And so one way to read this is, uh, if you go to the next slide, abide in me, you will encounter me, and I will set you free. And so this is our inheritance in Jesus. And, um, you know, it's not a principle to follow, but a person by whom we're transformed. One encounter with him can free you forever and bring you into the alignment of what is yours as as your inheritance, as a new creation. So I was at lunch a couple weeks ago with a buddy, and he was talking about wavering between what he wants. Uh, He's a believer in Jesus, and he was was talking about wavering between what he wants and... um, and having a clear conscience, you know. And so he just said, like, when I do this, when I live this way, when I walk according to this pattern in my life, based on my desires, he said, I feel conviction of the Spirit. And, um, and then when I don't, and I refrain from that, I don't feel satisfaction. And, and I told him, man, see, our inheritance is a deep satisfaction and a clear conscience. Well, fast forward to um, the inner healing training on Monday. And I, was, uh, I, I broke people out into groups, and I used that language for a question in a breakout group. I just said, do you generally feel deep satisfaction in a clear conscience? And um, one, of the, one of the folks in their group called me over and said, hey, where'd you get this language? And I said, I think the Lord gave me a word of wisdom in a conversation with a friend last week. <laughs> and I, I just... You know, it's just uh, something that I used and I, and I stuck with here. And, and she said, look at my journal. And she showed it to me from that, that day. She had written, uh, deep satisfaction in a clear conscience. So I feel like that's a word for us this morning. That's our inheritance as a new creation, brothers and sisters. And um, she was, interestingly, translating the Westminster Catechism's chief end of man, which is to glorify God. And enjoy him forever. <laughs> and so, um, deep satisfaction and a clear conscience. He's not a standard to imitate. He's the one who we become like by the power of his spirit. The one whose works we do by the power 
of his spirit. And you know, here it says not just that Jesus is the new creation standard, but that's the only thing that counts. It's the only thing that matters. You might say, well, what about my vocation? What about my relationships? What about, uh, you know, my loved ones? And I would say you will only know how much what God has given you matters to the extent that you know and value and rightly see him. You know, it's interesting. Um, Brooke brought up the verse last week, Acts 1-8, that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us and we shall be his witnesses. We are witnesses of the goodness of God. What have we witnessed? We have witnessed or experienced the power of the Holy Spirit that has come upon us. You will receive power when my spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. And so, as witnesses, or we can't be witnesses of what we haven't seen. We can't be witnesses um, except by which we're that by which we're transformed. This is how Paul was captivated by Jesus in the first place, right? He got knocked off his horse by the power of God, and his life was changed forever. Now, that's not the kind of experience that we all have, but this is what happened to Paul. He became captivated by the love of Christ, and it was that place from which he lived free, abandoned to the cross of Jesus Christ, to take up his cross, to preach Christ and Christ crucified only. John Jordan said that it's a matter of believing God, not believing about God. And to believe him is how we receive him. And if we started in the gospel by receiving Jesus by faith, doesn't that dynamic remain the same? In this day of like great polarization, right, pandemic, social injustices, to what are you tethered? To who are you tethered? You know, Paul says that we co-live with Christ. That word co means to embrace or be in the bosom of now. And so I want to encourage us to meditate. What is the application for that? It's meditating on Jesus. You know, the word meditate in the scripture, I may have said this from here before, means to, to gnaw on or growl over as a predator over its prey. <laughs> and so just to meditate, to fix our eyes on Jesus in community, in the word, in prayer, in solitude, and just continuing to fix our eyes on him, to seek his face. It's in this place that we become more like him and that we start to live as him. Jake, if you can come up. I'm not talking about a list of things to do. I'm talking about a way of life to cultivate. The more we become like Jesus by the Holy Spirit's power, the more we minister in power. You know, um, these Jewish Christians weren't just 
boasting in converts, avoiding persecution, preaching circumcision, they were also concerned that the Galatian churches wouldn't otherwise get the law. Like, how would they know this law that we value so much, right? And um, Kiara said it a few weeks ago that the old mark was circumcision by the law, right? But the new mark is the Holy Spirit inside of us. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is the, has the anointing by which we learn all things, right? So even as the law was a tutor, now we learn the law by the Holy Spirit in us. And we minister in power of the Spirit as well. Jesus fulfilled the law. So we will, through his spirit in us, be supernaturally empowered to love God and our neighbor. Does that make sense? I referenced Iris Global uh, earlier, that ministry. Their mission, um, I really love this language. And so I'm going to speak to this now. Iris Global's mission is to seek the face of God with all of our hearts that we may glorify him and enjoy him forever. There that is again. We proclaim Jesus is our salvation, our prize, our reward, our inheritance, our destination, our motivation, our joy, our wisdom, and our sanctification, and absolutely everything else we need forever and ever. Through adoration of Jesus, their ministry provides education, relief to war-torn areas, the arts, they build roads, you know what this reminds me of? Far different context, albeit. It reminds me of the greenhouse. It reminds me of the network. It reminds me of our movement, of what is happening in this church and in the movement of which we're a part. That as we adore him more and become more rightly impressed with Jesus, that these manifestations in every sector of society, of God's kingdom, at work by the power of the Holy Spirit that's transforming us, that's in us, that's working through us. We are bringing the kingdom, the shalom of Christ to those around us. You know, peace and mercy is the result of those who follow this rule, Paul says. Even if our lot is to bear the marks of Jesus on us, no persecution, no such persecution can separate us from Jesus in us or the bliss thereof. And so I just want to encourage us, brothers and sisters, as I close this morning, to continue to seek his face, trusting that what he has for us is a deeper satisfaction than we can imagine. And, uh, you know, I'm reminded that Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness above all his companions. That is the joy that is our inheritance. That is for us to walk in. Amen. Amen.